How are we doing, guys? It's Fit Food Radio. This is episode 122, I believe. Is it? I think so. Yeah. Or well, it's a, it's an episode. It matters not what number it is. Really. Do you guys do that at the start of every episode where you go, wait, what number is it? Yeah. I can't so, even count. I'm so convinced why you're asking it, me. We've got it wrong a few times, but yeah. no one's ever corrected us. No. So, um, <laughs> um, but you've now probably realised we're not alone. We've got the awesome Dr. Tommy Wood with us once again. So, uh, Tommy, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me for the again. for the ninety eighth time. <laughs> He's here. Awesome! I always love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Fear food's my favorite. <laughs> um, well, to be fair, mate, we we should just be grateful you're here. Generally, shouldn't we? Because it was almost the end of Doctor Tommy Wood. Or, or am I being a bit dramatic? Um, yeah, uh, I guess so. I'm probably being a bit dramatic. So um, I was milk I was it. bitten by a <laughs> mate. Milk it. So. Well, I can't really milk it because, well, I guess I have to start the story. So I was bitten by a snake in Costa Rica. And that particular snake, nowadays, the, fat- the fatality rate is 0% us- if-, if you get to a hospital. So it was unlikely that I was going to die, but it was possible that I could have been permanently disfigured or oh. dismembered uh, oh, because that wow. is fairly common with this snake bite. Um, Where so, was yeah, it? Where did it bite you? The fact that I am intact and standing. <laughs> Where does it bite you? Just above my ankle on the outside of my right leg. Oh, wow. Okay. God. Like, so it was a, was it a viper, wasn't it? There was some old herpetologist which named it the ultimate pit viper. That's kind of cool, isn't that it? That sounds kind <laughs> of cool, mate. Yeah. So if you if you look up uh, both rops asper or uh, in Costa Rica, they call it a terciopelo. Um, in countries outside of Central America, they call it a fer de lance. If you look it up, there's this awful picture on Wikipedia of this like half rotten leg where this poor kid got bitten by one and didn't get any antivenom. So yeah, so it can be it can be pretty bad. And I know somebody, a friend of theirs, got bitten by one in Ecuador, um, and they had to have a bit of foot amputated, I think. Um, so I got pretty lucky. I got I was taken straight to hospital by uh, Dr. Ben House, who's my new personal hero. Literally saved my life, or at least saved my leg. And I got anti-venom straight away. And actually, I was lucky I didn't get very much venom. They track how the venom affects the clotting in your blood. So one of the three ways that venom can get you is, and the, the most dangerous way is it stops you being able to clot. So they track your, your clotting. And the risk is that you hemorrhage into something like your brain. Yeah. So my clotting was never affected. So I got two doses of anti-venom just as a precaution. The main problem that I had was that you, and what I didn't realize or I didn't know before is that you always get an infection. So the snake infects you. It's like a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria in the venom gland. You know, so eventually, the, you know, if the venom doesn't get you, the infection will kind of thing. It's like, almost like sepsis then or something. Like, so I could have become septic. So I had, so they always start antibiotics straight away. The antibiotics they started me on work for the majority of people but didn't work for me because i had a resistant infection so i needed like third line antibiotics by the so by the third or fourth day my right leg was basically red and swollen up to mid thigh so i had this really bad cellulitis and then developing in there wasn't was an abscess so basically like this this pocket of pus at the bottom of my calf and so the the antibiotics started to kick in and then they basically took me to a side room sliced open my leg and squeezed all the pus out oh, um, nice. which was, <laughs> was pretty intense um, to put it mildly and so like it's one of those things where when doctors put in local anesthetic they they always forget that it takes like 10 minutes to really kick in so he basically injected local anesthetic and then like sliced me straight open so it's basically like <laughs> oh my anesthetic. god so oh, the, anesthetic, the anesthetic kicked in in time for the nurse to dress the wound again right, well that was useful <laughs> So, the, so that was the infection was kind of dealt with. But I also got uh, something called serum sickness, which is basically a delayed allergic reaction to the antivenom, because antivenom is horse serum full of the antibodies that bind to all the proteins in the venom, and then they can kind of deposit throughout the body, and then then you get a, a reaction to those. So I had like a rash that covered my whole body. I had really bad fevers. They had to give me IV steroids, loads oh of IV antihistamine. The, do- the doctor joked that it's always the foreigners who get like all the complications of the snake bite. <laughs> uh, so 
So yeah, maybe, maybe the local Costa Ricans are, are more, they've, they've adapted to it. They've evolved. But yeah, so that was, that was pretty much it. So I spent 11 days in hospital and then I came back to I was going to say, how US. long was you in? Wow. Yeah, pretty long. And then I had to, I was sort of laid up with my foot elevated while everything healed up for a couple of weeks. Um, but this is now, so I was bitten just over eight weeks ago. And for the last four weeks, I've been able to get back in the gym. I did my first squats the other day. So I'm getting, I, yeah, I lost a load of weight. I lost about a stone and a half. I've gained wow. most of that back now. So yeah, it was a fun, <laughs> it's a good story. Um, my Did wife would prefer that I didn't have it as a story. Obviously, she had to come and rescue me. So she came down to Costa Rica on, the, on my last couple of days so that she could help me navigate the flights back. Because it was two, two sort of four or five hour flights and I had to fly back sort of front of the plane so I could put my foot up and all this yeah, kind of stuff. I because I think it's really, like if I had the foot down for any period of time, it really ached. So I was surprised they let you, well, did it, they would let you fly because of like, I suppose like post-surgery, don't you have to wait a little while and not surgery, but post, yeah. post your... Yeah, the doctors said that as soon as they were happy for me to leave, they were happy for me to fly. There were a couple of times, like after like three days and after seven days, I was kind of contemplating, maybe I'll just risk it and fly back. But I had some 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 good medical advice from from friends of mine who've done like medical evacuation and stuff. And they were like, until the infection's under control and, you know, everything's looking much better, I would would stay in hospital so that's that's what i ended up doing and actually it turned out really well you know if you're going to get bitten by a snake and treated then costa rica is probably the the place to do it so so when where was you when you got bitten like was you walking through like long grass or anything <laughs> I've, like that i've got you i mean i'm imagining a jungle like a like proper, proper indiana jones <laughs> yeah. styley so if you go to if you go to I mean Costa Rica is is a beautiful country and it actually has pretty decent infrastructure compared to other countries in Central America. So if you're going to go to Central America, go to Costa Rica. Um, I would definitely be going back. But basically, there's some main roads, and then once you leave the main road, you're in the jungle. So like everywhere is jungle. And we were staying, I don't know, like a ten or fifteen minute drive by jeep up up kind of in the mountains a little bit or up a hill in the jungle. And I was literally just walking along the road on what was supposed to be my last evening there. And there's a stream that crosses the road and I was just stepping on a, stepping on a stone. So I wasn't like sticking my foot in the stream. And then that's right where the snake was. What, on the so it's not even or? like, yeah, I'll get, or I guess just hiding. I only saw it after it bit me. Um, but it's not like it was some cool, I was, waterfall diving or anything like that story yeah. we, we were looking for this like lost temple <laughs> i was going hunting for treasure no sadly not that did you have travel insurance or does it do you not need it if you're in the same of course he does yeah I, I did but i didn't end up need i didn't end up needing any of that oh kind of lucky oh Blimey. and how did you put the weight back on that's what matt's going to want to know he done it the, oh, just, the, the the only way we know how. Ice cream, which is yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely plenty of ice cream. Eat a shit ton of food. I basically I forced myself to eat for like two weeks straight. Like when you know when you when you're not hungry anymore, because like we spend all of our time trying to retrain ourselves like when we're hungry and when we're not hungry. Yeah. Like because modern society. And the various environmental factors make it so that you can't tell when you're hungry or not. And I basically just pushed through that and I just ate constantly. And it was helped with Elizabeth made a lot of desserts. So I, <laughs> nice. I, I threw the diet out of the window. And actually, most of it came back pretty quickly. I was kind of lucky. It so was back within two or three. Did you lose the weight because like you just didn't have an appetite or movement? Or... Yeah, so no movement. I didn't have an appetite, which is very normal if you have a large sort of inflammatory response. And then also, I mean, I was given a couple of days of IV steroids, which probably didn't help. Um, but you don't really lose. So like if you think about muscle, you don't really lose the, the muscle like satellite cells or anything like that. So, that. so it kind of all shrinks down, but that tissue isn't really gone. So mm -hmm. it came back. If it had been a much longer period of time, it would have been harder. But the fact that I lost it over a couple of weeks and that meant that I could regain it in three or four weeks, it wasn't really an issue. Was you like, uh, was there part of you that was almost like, a little bit like, oh, I've actually got a bit of a six pack going on. <laughs> no, there was a little bit that was like, 
oh, I look like somebody who I was just, I was super, uh, I was, all the thing, all the uh, metaphors I was going to use are kind of, uh, kind of insulting. So I was just, <laughs> I looked really, like, I didn't have a six pack. I just looked emaciated to my eyes. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like the For machinist. me, it was, it was a lot of, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, like the machinist. Exactly. I looked like, um, I looked like Christian Bale and the machinist. To, to my like obviously like probably most normal people would be like oh it's okay but to me it was a, it was a big difference because that's right. Matt, matt's got to do you mind me saying you, well matt's got to have surgery for a, a hernia and this is what i think two he of thinks, them he thinks he's gonna look like christian bale after about two weeks basically it's his worst nightmare which is so it doesn't even <laughs> enter my head that kind of thing i'm like so i'm trying i'm trying to pack on as much muscle as i can between now and the uh the operation <laughs> with a view that I'm like, you know, whatever I lose, at least I'll, I'll, I can just try and hold on to as much as possible. I consider myself uh, above average when it comes to humans. <laughs> so I'd like to think my recovery will be a darn sight quicker than what Most they people, what yeah. they would expect it to be. It's almost like a goal of mine. Like if they say, oh, I would take this on, I'll, be like, I'll have that. <laughs> I'll have that I'm going to be all over it but just make sure you don't pop it and have to go back in yeah, yeah, no, okay. yeah, yeah. you know I'll be I will be careful I will be careful it's a have you had a hernia no no yes it's a weird so, one. But, I mean yeah but you could do um, like you'll be you very shortly you'll be able to do bicep curls so that's obviously <laughs> really important well, I, was, I was going to take a pair of dumbbells with me to, <laughs> yeah. to, to the hospital <laughs> Actually, that was one thing. Um, ben, he he thought about bringing. He has these like a, you know those adjustable dumbbells. Oh yeah. Um, he was like I tried to bring you the dumbbells into the hospital. They wouldn't let me. So I could be like there doing bicep curls in bed. Actually, I, I I wouldn't have been able to do it. I felt awful. I was really you know I was exhausted. When but when, when I used to be a, an ice cream man, I used to have a pair of dumbbells on the ice cream van with me. Did you? Yeah, and I used to just like rep out a bit of some curls and lateral raises and whatnot when like on, on quiet periods. It was great. Was that? But then, when you open the window and there's little children out there, and you're kind of sweaty, What's he been doing you know, in there? Outside the out, out, in the van outside the playground, you know, huffing and puffing. <laughs> well, they could hear me kind of go, oh, oh. Stop it. <laughs> ripping out the last few. No, it was never like that. It was almost like because they were only like light dumbbells, really. So it was kind of just doing like loads of reps, just for like a bit of a vanity pump really because yeah. I used to have a polo shirt that I had to wear that was my uniform if you will if an ice cream man has one of them it's basically a white polo that says walls on it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I used to roll the sleeves up so they were like proper like tight just on my you know just at on the top bicep. of the bicep yeah so it was more so my arms looked good when I was pulling a whippy <laughs> <laughs> It's not a sentence I've heard well, before. <laughs> well, you know, when, you, when you're an ice cream man, if it's a, if it's a, if, it, if you have quiet days, you know, you got a lot of time on your hands. You know, you got to do something. Otherwise, you're just, just going to taste the, you know, in case the milk show up. <laughs> not that, not that I ever got a tip. I must say, you know, it's not like you know when someone orders a drink at a bar. Oh, you know, have a, keep the change. I never got that. <laughs> no, never mind. How have we gone from steak bites to <laughs> pulling a whippy? <laughs> pulling a whippy ice cream. Oh well, we're quite good at that, though, aren't we? Segwaying onto something completely unrelated. I'm trying to think how we segue into the main topic. Speaking of <laughs> pulling a whippy, <laughs> yeah. Well, no. So um, speaking of press yeah. ups, that's what we could say. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, firstly, before we ask you, what, we, what we're actually going to talk about today with you, Tommy, was your email this week about how fit is fit enough. But one last question yeah. I have is, are you okay now or are, the, are there any long-term implications of what, of your snake bite? No, is I don't it, think so. I've got like a cool-looking scar on my leg uh, where they sliced me open. But War wound. Touch wood, all that stuff. Um, no, I was, I was pretty lucky, um, probably because I didn't get much venom, so mm -hmm. I didn't. There was a guy who got bitten the day after me, and he got he got assessed for what we call a fasciotomy, which is basically where the swelling in your calf or foot is so bad that there's not enough space for all the swelling. You end up cutting off your own blood supply. So basically, to fix that, you end up like slicing Whoa. open the so, entire calf to, to like, like relieve the, the pressure. Bloody hell! Yeah. So he, luckily, he didn't need that, but he got pretty close. Um, so so yeah, it could have been a lot worse. But you know, other than 
I'm not as strong in in the squat rack as I used to be. Yet. <laughs> yeah, you're getting that, mate. So it wasn't like some cool like Spider-Man story where it gave you some kind of like the Venom <laughs> gave you this freakish <laughs> strength and power. I'll send you a photo of it. I won't. I won't go. I won't go and like run and get it now. But we'll, my, uh, we'll, we'll use uh, that as the thumbnail when this podcast goes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's so a, a friend of mine or friends of mine, Jim and Jill. She got a. Uh, a photo of me from Elizabeth and then basically remade the Venom cover, but me instead of Tom Hardy. Oh, and sort of white half my faces. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good. That's so I amazing. have one of those, it's framed, it's like in the living room. Um so we'll, we'll, use, use, that as a, we'll use that as a podcast. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this probably sounds like a daft question, but I know sometimes adrenaline and all of that can can disguise these things. But but did it hurt? So no, the the original bite is just like having somebody sticking a needle in your leg. So that wasn't that wasn't that painful. And then because I didn't really know what kind of venom the snakes in Costa Rica have, so so they mainly have these ones that affect clotting. So I put a tourniquet on my leg. I was like, rather lose a chunk of leg than you know anything else. And um, but you you only need to do that if they if they have like respiratory or cardiac effects. But the 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 snakes in that region of the world don't have that so as i like hobbled into the emergency room the nurses were like take that off <laughs> um, which is fine i was i was i didn't know anything about it at the time so i thought better safe than sorry what was your yeah so so then um the main it was really painful like the first night like maximum inflammatory response the little bit of venom that is in there is like digesting my tissues a little bit um that kind of stuff uh but then after that it was fine mm. Mm-hmm. Well, it was painful if I like hop. If I try, I couldn't walk on it. It was pain. If I like hopped around, I'd like all the blood and like pressure would kind of like really make my my leg throb. So I could, I wasn't really particularly mobile. So going for a pee was pretty was pretty painful. Um, but other than that, it was it was alright. Coincidentally, I had just watched a documentary a matter of days before Keris was like, "Oh my god, Tommy's been bitten by a by a viper," and I was like. For a moment, I tried to pretend I was like a snake venom expert. Oh, well, what kind of snake was it? So I thought, oh, well, was it this? And, um, but they were saying like in India, a lot of the people that die from snake bite is pretty much what you said in that most of them could be saved, but a lot of them yeah. don't have access to the anti-venom in time, mm. you know, to save them yeah. essentially. And you think, gosh, like, and out there people like, I mean, thousands of people die by snake bite. For that reason, because a lot of them walk around like barefoot when they're in the fields and, yeah, yeah. you know, picking like crops and, and stuff like that. You'd and put it in your handbag, wouldn't you? Well, I would. <laughs> Just in case. What bit of anti-venom? What, the <laughs> no, the <What's> anti-venom. <laughs> Get in that handbag. That'll show you. Or hit the snake with the handbag. Yeah. <laughs> so the email it's the, in question was, uh, I think it was, How Fit Is Fit Enough was the title. And I really liked it because you were basically summarizing the research about, because obviously now fitness has gone a bit crazy and you've got this kind of, uh, you've got both extremes of some people are just so sedentary and then some people are just basically overtraining and, and, and fitness is their kind of full-time career. So, well, I'm going to hand over to you, Tommy, to tell us, don't give away the beginning that, cause you, you, you started your email and told me the answer, which then I don't read the full email if you do that. <laughs> So you did yeah, like so a story. Do you know why? Do you know why I did that? Is because I, I I had the email, yeah, and then I send it around to like everybody to like comment on it. And Chris was like, "Well, I've read the email, but I don't know what to do." And I'm like, "But I've clearly stated in the email, yeah, like, yeah, what you should do." Um, and so then I added like a you know a TLDR at the beginning. Yeah. If you just need the takeaway, you can do that. If you want to understand how I got to that, then you can do that too. It's a uh, up to you to fair that that helped me just read it out to matt because i was like well here's the takeaway <laughs> but, <laughs> here's what you need to know yeah but actually when i read the full email a little bit later i was like god that's really fascinating and all the kind of debating that goes but on it's interesting you say that actually because there are going to be those kind of people aren't there that would be a bit like right how fit is fit enough okay bosh off to the gym i go <laughs> smash everything they and just that's said. fine yeah yeah rather than right. read like oh but why you know yeah. this is really interesting you know how did they come to that conclusion they're like yeah no i'm off so i suppose we should we should actually tell me how fit is fit enough <laughs> yeah so th- this is a a question that i i won't pretend that i suddenly have the answer to but it's something that i'm i'm really interested in and 
I have there are a number of people I work with in different arenas that I know are also really interested in this. And it's basically the question of how fit do I need to be now or in 10 or 20 years time to make sure that I have the optimal amount of fitness to provide me, you know, an increase in health span. Like mm-hmm. how and, and like what, um, you know, then then like how fit do I need to be now? What's the kind of decay? Um, that kind of stuff we don't we don't know that well but there are very various ways to look into it that we're kind of thinking about but but basically they were they were having thought about this recently the last year or so there were a couple of papers that came out and and the one one looked at mortality in people who'd had an exercise stress test basically got on a treadmill um, and then they slowly increased the speed and the gradient until they can't take it anymore and that's one way to sort of test people who have like angina or might have some some issues with their uh, with their heart, a risk of you know risk of heart attack. They sort of separated people into groups based on on how fast and how much gradient somebody could take on a treadmill, and then looked at their mortality. I think it was over ten years. There was an elite group, but then also uh, like a high fitness group, um, and they had like a you know a three to four times uh, decrease in. Uh, in in risk of dying o- over ten years, and these guys were sort of fifty ish years old. So so it's kind of, it's a good metric of you know in ten or fifteen years time, like how fit do the three of us need to be, you know if we if we want to you know survive as long as possible. So the output of that was essentially that you know if you can w- slowly increase. So most of most of the difficulty comes from the gradient rather than from the speed. So, so the, the treadmill isn't that fast. If you can work your way, so over like a 10-ish, you know, six to 10 or 12 minute period, if you can work up to, it's like a 16 to 18% gradient, which is pretty steep at like four and a half to five miles an hour, that kind of puts you in the in the high to elite fitness group. And like anybody could, could do that at their gym or whatever on a treadmill and just kind of see if they can work their way up to that. It's, technically called a uh, bruce protocol you can look that up on wikipedia there are also some some calculators that i included in the in the email so that you can say okay so this is the speed that i got up to this is the gradient that i got up to how many uh, mets metabolic equivalents is that like how hard is that and then you can you can sort of compare yourself to the people in the paper if, if that you are so inclined but if you're just somebody who wants to know the short answer it's can you work up to an 18% gradient at five miles an hour on a treadmill. If you can, you're in great shape. How, how long do you have to stay there for? <laughs> like, oh, it's just it's the maximum that you, Yeah, it's the maximum that you can tolerate. Right, so if okay. you can get it up to that and you don't get immediately spat off the back <laughs> yeah. um, or have a heart attack, then, then, that, that, then that's it. If, they were, if somebody was doing this to you, when would you tell them, okay, no more, I can't, I, can't, I can't do any more. So what's the maximum you can tolerate? So it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. Do you know what's fascinating about that test as well is I went and auditioned for Gladiators. Do you remember this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went to audition for Gladiators about 10 years ago and I kept thinking about the Travelator. So I decided oh, yeah. to do that exact test was how I decided to train for the audition for Gladiators. So I would just start on 5% and then just take it up 1% every minute. And I think it was like two two kilometers per hour so i can't remember until i could take it no more like literally two, do you remember two kilometers per hour no as in by two jump by two i didn't work in miles per hour because the treadmills were in oh right i thought you yeah. saying you built up to two kilometers per hour I was <laughs> like, oh yeah just like take it easy but then you had to go at it and then everyone in the gym was always like what are you yeah. doing that for and, it became I, a bit and of I was a like thing, it's it? the travelator but then I get to did the, you ever did well, you ever get to the travelator? No, so I get to the gladiators audition, and literally it's like you had to do ten forward rolls and then ten backward rolls, and you had to like launch a ball. It was proper. It was more like cross training, and I flunked the whole thing. But I was like, "Where's the treadmill? Where's the Someone give me a treadmill, and I'll prove myself." I actually got really sick and dizzy from all the rolling about that we had to do, and no, I didn't get in. <laughs> so. But yeah. What would have been your gladiator name? Oh, what do you reckon? Keith? I don't know. Keith. <laughs> That's what you used to call me. Everyone used to call me Keith at the gym. Because basically I was just always competing with the Oh, men. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Keith, K, Kerish. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking, all right, where was the link? But I remember it now. I don't but know. Keith. <laughs> Keith. <laughs> That's a bit underwhelming, isn't it, really? But... <laughs> and we have... Keith. Keith. <laughs> Taking on <laughs> the shadow. 
I know it was, it was Jet, wasn't it? I can't remember the female ones. But yeah, yeah, Jet, Jet, oh, like, yeah. Lightning. Yeah, there was a lot of hanging lightning. as well, which I didn't think about. I think I did a bit of monkey bar training, but there's a lot. I mean, it's amazing. Like that should be how classes are running gyms because it was all about it was about movement and upper body strength and stuff. But yeah, but it's funny how like in the UK you don't really have like. I mean, they tried to bring gladiators back, didn't they? For like one, I think it was like one season, then it went again. Whereas in America, those kind of things are quite big, aren't they? Like the the Ninja Warrior. Well, yeah, there's the Ninja Warrior. That's one. But they just had the first season of the Titan, Titan Games, Games. Run, run by The Rock. Yeah, um, that Dwayne looks Johnson. amazing. And it, that's it's it's all like pitting people against each other. So there's no like gladiators versus normal yeah. humans, but. Right. That's pretty entertaining. If you can find some Titan games, I, I watched the first season. That was kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just been watching kind of like clips like on Instagram normally because I started following the Titan games on Instagram because obviously I'm a big fan of uh, The Rock. So I was just kind of watching it and I'm like, there, there's some cool challenges on there. Like some real yeah, random yeah. ones. Like there's one where they, yeah, they've got like a, you know, like a pulley. Yeah. You know, if you're like like pulling on like a, a rope or something but that's, they've got some big concrete ball hanging on it, but they've got to pull it through these like concrete oh, yeah, barriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've got to keep pulling it and, and break it through and break it through. And I'm just like, that's, that's amazing. Cause you did, did, did start to think with like Ninja Warrior and all of them. And even with gladiators, the events were just, it was just the same thing. Like, so they, they've, they've yeah. really done well to kind of create, just really really different yeah. really different challenges yeah so if you're so if you're not elite then what would be a good kind of target speed and gradient for somebody who's just yeah. wants to be just fit for, for kind of longevity put reasons you know if you're doing if you're measuring it that way that kind of you know four and a half to 16 to 18 four and a half miles per hour 16 to 80 percent that kind of covers the the high fitness group and so and, and the elite fitness group and it's worth mentioning that it's not elite athletes. They just called these guys the elite group. These are people, these are still people who were referred to hospital to get an exercise stress test, which meant that at some point somebody was maybe worried about their heart. So right. you've already right. selected people who are maybe not in amazing shape. These are still going to be fairly average people. Although, I mean, I imagine that the top guys probably do a fair amount of exercise because, you know, it's fairly hard work. But. It's not elite, you know, the word elite makes you think elite athlete. That's not it. These are still 50-year-old guys and girls who have gone to do this test for a specific reason. So, were, were they, so I think that that's, I think that's perfectly, I think that's perfectly reasonable, that kind of range. Were they, were they, was there a variety of ages or was there a particular age group or? So on, so if you look across all the different groups in terms of, so they, they classify people as low, below average, above average, high and elite. And it's 122,000 people. Like it's a reasonable number of people. The average age in every group was 50, 52 or 53 with, you know, this and the standard deviation. So, you know, by the time, you know, you've covered a good portion of people, like 60% of people, once you go like 12 years, either side of that. So then basically early forties to mid sixties, maybe is that is that kind of group, which I think is in terms of people trying to figure out how fit they need to be to be healthy for a long period of time. I think it's pretty, a pretty relevant. Because I, I, I think what you just said there is actually it's very relevant, isn't it? Because when people think of fitness, you know, if you look at, say, for example, the guy who's currently holds the world record for the fastest marathon time, you know, obviously clearly a very, very ridiculously fit guy who you would consider very much an elite athlete. However, Kipchoge. that's it. That's the one. I mean, he just seems to be getting faster and faster. Like, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Watch Project Two if you haven't watched Project Two. Oh, like, yeah. watch the, the, the Nike cool. thing. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's very cool. That was that was brilliant. I, I was I really hoped he was gonna gonna do it, but he actually got close. He got close in an actual marathon I know. this year, like a, like a properly. He's only a, he's only a few seconds off. I can't remember exactly that, what it was. Because there's, there's got to be something to be said for because I didn't realize it was going to be such a controlled environment that they were doing it in, and because there is a huge part of the actual atmosphere of a race that just brings something else yeah, out of you definitely. and i almost feel like maybe it was almost too controlled yeah for him to, to get the so best for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what we're talking about is basic uh, nike tried to create the perfect environment for somebody to run a sub two-hour marathon mm. and they basically had a close it was on the monza track uh formula one track in italy and there was like closed track and they had continuous paces coming in and out to like keep them on the, like, like below the two hour mark 
and they got close. They didn't quite make it, but yeah, because they were just but, launching but now, a new shoe, weren't they? Just as well. Yeah, yeah, it was the the fly knit or something. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's he he repeat he repeated what he did by breaking the world record in an actual real race this this year. So because he's always he's a monster. But what I was going to say was is that despite the fact he's obviously on another level when it comes to fitness, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to live longer than these people that you're mentioning or, you, you know, whatever. It, is. it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, he's super duper fit. He's going to live till he's like 120 or, or something like that. <clears throat> well, I was going to say the other part of the, the email, Tommy, you talked about how much is too much in terms of training when it comes to things like calcium scores and when it's having an adverse effect. Yeah. And so that's, and I did a, I did a podcast with Simon Marshall about this uh, a while back, uh, talking, talking about this, sort of the balance between performance and longevity. And once you get above like 30 to 45 minutes a day of what they call moderate to vigorous physical activity. So it's basically anything from a brisk walk and then more intense from there. Once you get above that, you basically you're in diminishing returns lands. Like you're not going to, in terms of longevity, you're not going to get much more out of it. Hmm. So, you know, it's half an hour, 45 minutes in the gym, lifting weights, going for a walk, sitting on a bike, something like that. Um, and it doesn't have to be completely crushing yourself. Um, but that's where you're going to get most of the benefit. And then like things will plateau. And certainly if you have a performance goal, you probably need to train more than that in the, in a sport specific manner. Um, but then when you get to, you know, the people who are training 30, you know, 20, 30 hours a week, particularly endurance exercise, and it, it tends to be more amateurs than professionals, you know, people who are like, I'm going to run every day and I'm going to go out and I'm basically going to crush myself for an hour. Um, that kind of training, uh, that's really not very good for you and it doesn't make you that much faster either. Um, but that's how amateurs train endurance exercise. In, you know, if we sort of sweeping general, 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 generalities. Um, so that word, um, anyway, so when you get to like 20, 30 hours a week of like hard endurance exercise, then you start to see an increase in maybe some cardiovascular problems, uh, particularly atrial fibrillation, you probably see an increase in uh, coronary artery calcium score, what's in, which is basically the hardening of the arteries, which is a, a risk factor for heart attacks. The interesting thing is that if you're reasonably fit and you can t- and you continue uh, that kind of level of exercise, then having more calcium in your arteries, which for somebody who's sedentary would be a risk factor for heart attack, is actually protective. So often we have people who do a coronary artery calcium score because it's a really nice way to kind of determine your heart attack risk much better than doing like your cholesterol levels and they'll get su- they'll get super worried because they have a certain amount of calcium in their arteries and you and there was another recent paper that came out that was quite nice that basically said that you know if you're pretty active and pretty fit then you're the risk of having calcium in your, yeah so it's interesting so if you're if you do a lot of exercise it increases your risk of having calcium in your arteries but at the same time that calcium you know is less predictive of you having a, a, a problem later on so for people who are super fit um or do a lot of exercise that kind of scoring is just different compared to somebody who's who's sedentary but there is a you know as you do more and more of that kind of exercise there certainly is a um a risk of of problems so if it if it's a how fit is fit enough the you know in term and then how much training should i do to achieve that you know 45 minutes a day is is pretty much where you're gonna level out um, and beyond that, you're probably not going to see much more benefit. Is that, and what is that? Do you think it's like the combination of just kind of inflammation or, or nutrient deficiencies or oxidative stress? What, what's kind of causing it? Yeah, it's probably my, my guess is it's largely an, it, largely an inflammatory response. And, you know, when you look at the animal studies, they've done some interesting stuff. Uh, Peter Bax, I think is his name, B-A-C-K-X. He's a, a researcher in Canada that's done at least some of this. And when they do like heavy resisted treadmills for or wheels for mice, oh. um, then <laughs> then that that's kind of that's kind of like, you know, if, if we want we can't really compare, but that's kind of like how that that kind of training where you just like go out and run as fast as you can for an hour and you come back and you're exhausted. If you do that with mice, then you start to see a lot of inflammation, particularly in the heart. Um, you can't really measure it in the blood. You can only really measure it if you actually look at the tissue itself. And yeah, and then that's when you start to see those problems with like atrial fibrillation and stuff. So it's it's like a tissue uh, inflammatory effect in the tissue largely. But obviously, a lot of that stuff can feed into that oxidative stress, um, nutrient deficiencies, particularly, you know. And then there's also the overtraining, under eating, under sleeping, all of that's going to, you mm-hmm. know, in the, in the human 
all of that's going to increase your risk. So if you're if you're an athlete and doing this pays the bills, you can mitigate a lot of that risk by looking after yourself properly. Yeah. The problem is that again, the average person who thinks that they need to run 20 miles a week, 30 miles a week, whatever, whilst also looking after kids and having a nine to five job and et cetera, et cetera. They don't look after themselves. So they do a worse type of training and they don't look after themselves. And that's where a lot of that risk is going to come from. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing, isn't it? Cause I think there, it does come to a point where it's like, you know, there's just not enough time or you can't consume enough nutrients and whatever else to actually counteract the demand you're placing on your body. You know what I mean? There's got to come a point where your body's just like, no. It's like, <laughs> it, there's such a lack of knowledge though, because a lot of people in, especially London commute in and out on their, you know, cycle quite fast and, and, and run to and from work. So they do average around sometimes like an hour and a half, two hours of exercise, like endurance based stuff a day. Mm. And it's quite a stressful environment to run or cycle in as well. And like you're breathing in quite a lot of crap in the meantime. So, uh, yeah. and they, they, they think they're doing something healthy it's like a you know I'm do- this is this is my exercise nailed it's a good thing you know there's always that story of oh i can't believe that john had a heart attack you know he was only 55 <laughs> and he was so fit he ran yeah. every day um yeah. you know like, loads it's of those, super yeah. super common yeah. and you know that's just that that's really it so um if, if you're putting that kind of stress on the body you know you've got to think about think about all the other all, all the other important factors I think it'd be interesting to see because I think it's obviously it's far too early days to to say. But in terms of like the longevity of um, like CrossFitters, I knew for you example, were say that. <laughs> well, no, but like, I, mean, I mean these. I know because you go you go on Instagram every day and you look at the workouts and even I do. I look at it. I'm like, how does their body take that? Like, yeah, like I mean they I mean they cool. train so hard, yeah. and honestly, I tip my hat to them because you know they train so hard. You know they're they're very strong, they're very fit, but then. I suppose it's not really been around long enough to be like, oh, what's the long term? Yeah. You know, like how long are their careers going to be? You know, what are they going to be like in 20 years time? Because of, you know, based on the these demands they're placing on their body. You see which, a lot of, I, I see a lot of hormone dysregulation in the women. That's one thing I have come yeah. across yeah. quite a lot. We, uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in our experience, not, we, not, women uh, tend to, mm. I suppose, have, yeah, definitely have more negative effects than the men. Yeah. Don't 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 you think? Yeah, oh yeah. Is yeah. it because they're not easy enough? Um I keep seeing things like quite a lot the, of PCOS there, there, like polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, there is the I think there's a not eating um We did a talk at a not, CrossFit gym and it was um, there was men and women there, but the audience was mainly women. We were talking about, you know, making sure you are taking on enough calories, nutrients, protein and all of that. And we just asked around the room, we were like, you know, so if you guys you've just done a morning wad you know, what's a kind of post-workout meal for you? And most of them are just like, oh, I tend to just go straight till through till till lunch. I don't really have anything. Yeah, somewhere intermittent fasting after that like, workout. Well, like, not even, is, you don't have a shake, obviously. you don't have anything. They're like, no, no, yeah. you know, just get showered, go to work. And then... That's just conf- confusing so many different kind of bits of healthy advice. You know, the, the kind of trends yeah. at the moment, which is, oh, intermittent fast, I'll do CrossFit. And then I'll make sure you can run to work as well. It all gets a little <laughs> bit... Like, <laughs> your poor body's like, what the fuck? So, yeah, I've yeah. done that. It's not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I always say the, the sex hormones are, are your marker in a way. Your sex hormones are your feedback on it in terms of like, okay, this is not not working from a, a kind of uh, health perspective. So, um, but I, was gonna, I wonder. I wonder if part of it. You, you were saying uh, PCOS. Um, I'm going to interrupt you before you even like told me about it. But I wonder if there, if that's a demographic that's uh, sort of attracted to CrossFit and maybe do quite quite well. Um, in terms of like performing in strength sports and things, just a, a thought. I wonder if that's part of it. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to say, or that they get told to go and do some strength training because they've got PCOS. Might be, I don't know. That could be another factor. Then a, a lot yeah. of them, yeah, I don't know. I always thought, is it like a, a kind of? It doesn't make sense because they are told to do things like strength training, but it just seems to be the intensity, maybe the fasting. I don't know. And then many of them do go and kind of, there's kind of, I suppose, in some of these gyms, they're kind of at the weekend, eat what you like type culture as well. That might, that's not going to help. Yeah. Uh, um, But yeah, I was going to ask Tommy, um, what about strength? So in terms of uh, a measure of your strength, what's the best way we can kind of, how fit should we be strength wise? Yeah. So it would be really nice if there was a study on lower body strength, because I think that that's much more important. Like, 
how much can you squat, say, relative to your body weight? And that's not really been done. Uh, there are a few studies on like leg press strength and, and things, but it's, it's almost impossible to then, because every leg press machine is different, you can't really compare, like you can't look at a study and say, oh yeah, I can do that in my gym, just because they're, they're never the same. But when you're thinking about longevity, you know, type two muscle fiber, like fast twitch muscle fibers in the lower body are one of the best predictors of, of longevity because A, metabolically, they're you know, really important for blood sugar regulation, all that kind of stuff. But equally, um, if you have those muscles, you're much less likely to fall over and break your hip, right? Which is in, in, a big part of living a long time is not falling over and breaking your hip. Just, However, just there was a study- on, on what you just said there. And is it true, I can't remember where I've heard this, that with type 2 diabetes, it's when the, the muscles in the legs become insulin resistant that they're in big trouble. Is that right? Uh, yes. So insulin resistance in the muscle is um, definitely a, a late sign. And, and by that point, like you're, you have real metabolic health problems. And part of that is because you don't have those very highly metabolically active uh, insulin-sensitive type 2 fibers. Those are the ones that you selectively lose as you get older. Mm. Uh, but in a lot of type 2 diabetics, the problem starts in the fat in the fat tissue, uh, which basically your fat is either inflamed or you have too much of it relative to what you your own body could tolerate. And there's genetic factors and environmental factors that determine that. And then if you can't store, you know, and that fat is a buffer that keeps you metabolically healthy. And if you can't store that fat in your fat tissue, it goes to other places and then, you know, ends up in the liver or the pancreas or, yeah. you know, and or the muscle tissue. And then the muscle, the muscle becomes insulin resistant. So some people think that insulin resistance starts in the fat. Some people think it starts in the muscle tissue. I am of the opinion that it starts mainly in the fat tissue. Right. But, you know, it's certainly if, if you're if you're a, a, a sedentary person and you really don't move around at all and you eat a crappy diet and you don't sleep and all that kind of stuff, then the muscle tissue is going to become insulin resistant pretty quickly because you're not using Easy. it. So get rid of it. So then there's a, there's a paper that came out very recently that looked at, this was like only in men, firefighters, um, and looked at how many press-ups they could do and then their risk of um, sort of cardiovascular disease over the next, I think it was eight to 10 years. And what they found was that in those guys that could do more than 40 press-ups in one go, they had an incredibly lower risk of cardiovascular disease compared to people who could do fewer than 10 and it was like 20 it was like they had a 25 times lower risk of cardiovascular disease and there's a lot of like really uh, difficult stuff to to pass out of this so the guys who could do fewer than 10 press-ups were also 13 years older than the guys who could do more than 41 press-ups so that's immediately going to give you a, a, a massive benefit in terms of your cardiovascular disease risk and you know the guys who are in the in the upper level, they may have been previous athletes or you know been in the military or something, which is fairly common for firefighters in the U.S. at least. So there's a lot of confounding factors. The biggest jump was, is from people who uh, or guys who could do fewer than ten uh, press ups to ten to twenty press ups. So if you if you're above ten and those guys were a similar age, that that's your biggest jump in terms of any particular group in terms of how much. How, how strong you are so um more than 10 push-ups is kind of or press-ups is kind of like where you need to be at, at a minimum but then if you're thinking about again so the guys in the more than 40 41 uh you know, 41 or greater press-up group they were 35 years old they could do more than 40 press-ups and they had a huge um benefit in terms of their cardiovascular disease risk so again if you're in your 30s or early 40s having the strength to do you know, 40, 40 press-ups is a good target. And it doesn't need to be like you have to do it right now. It might be something that you work up to. And again, part of what we discussed was uh, quality over quantity. And then the the question becomes, how do you translate that to women? Um, and again, in, in the email I had, and I, I can send you the text. You guys can include it somewhere if people want it. Then there's a discussion of, well, how do you translate that across? And essentially, n- more than 95% of the difference in strength between men and women is differences in muscle mass as Matt pops a massive bicep um, <laughs> video. And so, so basically women are only less strong because they have less muscle mass. You know, there's very few other factors that play a role there. And then, so in the, in the upper body, women on average have 50% of the muscle mass in men and therefore they have 50% of the strength in men. That's more, you can see that in like powerlifting competitions and stuff in terms of like absolute bench press strength. 
So absolute strength doesn't necessarily translate to strength endurance, but on average, you could say the target in women would be half of the target in men. Um, so five press-ups is a minimum, 20 is your target. And actually, women are better at strength endurance. They can do more reps at a given percentage of their one rep max compared to men. So women are probably better at push-ups relatively you know, once, they, once they start to train that. You know, like yeah, men you, just yeah. suck at a lot of stuff. Like women are generally better at most things. I was about to say you could just stop it's that just sentence the, the halfway through. Um, you could just stop that sentence halfway through. Women are just better. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and when it comes to, yeah, yeah okay, fine. <laughs> uh, the majority of things, yeah. On average, women are better. Fine, yeah. you can have that. Yeah, okay. I think that's everything I had to say on the topic, unless you have questions. So the, the important question, can you two do 40 press-ups? That's the question now, I know. I reckon I could do 40, yeah. I'll so, yeah, this is so my coach, Zach, said that. He was like, Tommy, can you do 40 press-ups? And I could do 40 press-ups if I did them the kind of the quick, like bang them out, don't worry about like a quality, a quantity over quality thing. I could. If I was thinking about doing a really high quality press-up, I couldn't do 40, definitely not. What's a high quality press-up? You know, just like, sl- you know, slow and controlled, proper shoulder positioning, uh, chest all the way down to the floor. Because like when you see people doing as many press-ups as they can in a minute, you know, the range of motion is much decreased. Mm. There's a lot of kind of like um, using, you know, rather than using the, the chest and the triceps as your main movers, you're, you're sort of like bouncing around on like fascia and stuff like that, which, you know, I mean, you'll get more press-ups, but it's, 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 a, much le- it's a much lower quality. Because I, I could get 40 chest to floor, but I reckon with a bit of, I think they'd be good quality, but like you say, they, they wouldn't be mad slow but also yeah. what's the um this, epi- epic this, this, this is something we debate ups. all the time is is the hand position because some people say yeah. that it has to be you know the military press up which is which is basically elbows tucked in and a lot of kind of older yeah a lot of older kind of kettlebell trainers that i really respect say if you want if you want your shoulders to you know kind of basically for shoulder health do the military press up only that whereas you're a big fan of moving the hands around doing some wide yeah, some, some close grip and different hand positions did they have a did in the test was there a particular because they must have had to no, say no this is this is this is the problem so what i imagine is you know what's the position that gets you probably the most reps for most people it's going to be wider elbows flared much worse for your shoulders yeah. um and but that allows you to get for most people, that's going to allow you to get more reps because you can activate more of the chest and, and rely le- less on the triceps. So that's one of the things they don't give any quality standards in the paper. Like what was what was this mm. standard press up? So my guess is it's just whatever you can do to get as many press ups as you can, which then obviously is going to have issues later down the line. However, like I'd certainly agree with with Matt, if you're trying to you know stimulate as much growth or strength as possible, then you know and and your shoulders are in good shape then you know mixing that up is 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 great because i th- i think like uh, in my experience i find it easier to teach someone a kind of you know regular push-up if you will like tommy just said you know maybe hands just wider than the chest flaring the elbows out i find it easier to teach them what i see as effective technique with regards to their shoulder positioning compared to kind of elbows in more military style because I think people now are so kind of um, prone to kind of like quite rounded shoulders that actually when they come down, you know, their, their shoulders yeah, actually almost the, dip the shoulder forward. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Rather than getting what I, I I think at the bottom of a push up, you should have like a bit, you know, shoulder retraction presenting the chest yeah. to the floor. Like, so I find it easier to, if someone, like you said, if someone's got good, you know, control over their body position and decent posture and they can open their chest, then, yeah, I'll go with that. But for most people, in my experience, if I'm working with like a typical office worker that is quite rounded in their upper body and their posture, I just find it easier to to do a box standard. Why? Why I consider a box standard push up? Yeah, I'm I'm going to shoot for forty. I think I can do. I can definitely do twenty. Yes, but it needs to be chest. To floor. It is chest at floor it's not. almost. <laughs> it's like a, it, there's supposed to be fists, isn't it? A fist distance from no, the floor. Well, that's like, not chest to floor. Uh, no, no. So, so I, I do quite like, um, although like nobody's really used it in these studies. I do quite like the the, the CrossFit standard push-up, which is that you have to release your hands off the floor yeah, and the bottom. Bring them and off, actually, yeah. I believe I believe the British military have changed their standards so that you now have to do a release at the bottom. Really? Yeah, you have to get much more full range than I that. I saw a video it? of that. 
Oh, God. I was going to say women like could, could have a massive advantage if they did this test without a bra on. <laughs> just bounce back off again. Well, because no, they'd just be hanging lower, wouldn't they? <laughs> so technically... Yeah. So chest, as soon as you touch, as soon as you the, touch floor. the floor, you can come back up. Yeah. <laughs> just don't even move. Just tap your hands <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, some women would be like, yeah. I've, just, just tap. <laughs> I don't need to go very far at all. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to try that then. Okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do the military one. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow. What's Cha- the military? What do the military have to do? Is it a hundred? In t- oh, in terms of their standards, I'm not yeah. sure what they are at the moment. I'm going to look uh, it up. Give it a go. I'm going to film you doing it first, Tommy. Right. You should you should film okay. you doing it, and then we'll put that on our Instagram story as well. All right. Um, I'll do it live as well so no one can question whether it's been edited in any way but no I I really like this though because I do feel that there is something to be said for you know like you were saying earlier you know up until a certain point it's like beyond that there is no more you know there's not it's not like there's another like substantial layer of benefit if you double that amount of push-ups or you double the amount of incline or duration on the treadmill, whatever it may be. Because yeah. I think, you know, we are so, I suppose, like these days we're so focused on more is just always better. Yeah. You know, more, more, more. You know, for, you know, six weight training sessions a week is going to be so much better than four weight training sessions a week. You know, running every day is going to be better than running three times a week. But actually, in terms of your health and longevity, that's not necessarily the case. By all means, you know, sign up to a race or a challenge or whatever because it's going to stimulate you mentally and, and it's great to have something to aim for, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, a big thing we try and focus on now is just getting people to, yes, train, you know, train in a way that you enjoy, lift some weights, run a bit, move a little bit, um, but really, really focus on the the, the the kind of uh, the nourishing aspect of, of it as well, the recovery and the replenishment and walking and sleeping. And because because for me, I mean, I'm training three times a week at the minute. I'm lifting weights three times a week and I, I'm making really, really good progress. And I genuinely believe yeah. that I'm now getting three really good quality workouts a week as opposed to five average ones. And the, yeah. the numbers speak for themselves. You know, I'm getting stronger. You know, I'm less sore after my workout. So I feel that I'm moving better day to day. And for me, I'm like, that's a classic case of actually the opposite of actually less is less is more in this instance for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like that that you brought this up, Chris, because I just you, think what it's... What do you do in terms of training, Tommy? How many sessions would you do you try and shoot for? Yeah, uh, yeah. So at the moment I've been doing four sessions a week. But this was sort of like me getting back into the gym after snake bite. <laughs> um, and so, so actually, they're not, you know, I, I think on average it's five or six exercises, three working sets, probably eight to 12 reps, maybe 15, depending on the exercise. And for most sessions, they're paired as like supersets. Uh, so it takes, so four sessions a week usually takes me less than an hour. Um, and that's, that's been great. That's allowed me to get, all of my my muscle back, my upper body strength is probably back to what it was before. My lower body strength isn't quite there yet, just because I've delayed that. Um, yeah, that's it. So, and uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to do any more. Yeah, I mean that's that's where I'm at now. Like, I mean, every now and again, if I just feel up for it, I'll be like, oh no, I'll, I'll go and get another session in, and I'll just kind of do whatever I feel. But for me, at the minute, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should just do three sessions a week. Of course not. But for me, it's it's just working. Because I just feel like I'm, I'm I'm getting a lot more from those free sessions. Well, I think there is that perception. I definitely come across people who think if they can't do four or five sessions, then don't do any. Mm. <laughs> like if they can't, they, uh, they look at oh it. God, that's insane. But you do. People are still are still thinking that if it's, it's, people are almost like if I can't do what they perceive as the ideal, yeah. then I might as well not do it at all. Yeah, and they won't thing. benefit from just one or two sessions. Whereas, like one one a week would be enough for most people because that's one more than they're than they're doing already exactly. actually and i was last summer i was i think i was training three times a week and ch- just trying i was trying to get stronger it was the first time i'd actually like focused on really getting stronger because i've always had like multiple different things going on at the same time and three times a week and i dramatically increased my deadlift and uh, squat strength in you know two or three months just you know three times a week like really focused good quality training sessions so yeah, if, you know, if that's um, if you want to get if you want to get str- like stronger, particularly 
I think less is less is often going to be more. Just on that subject of the why they don't do sub, uh, studies on the lower body side, something like a squat, is that just because it would just be, it'd have to be so controlled in, and it's too expensive or why are there no studies on that? Yeah, so it's often a technique thing. So they'll right. do squat yeah. studies in athletic populations. Um, so like people who, who have a weightlifting background, but you know, if you're, if you're talking about an older population or you're trying to look at sort of uh, across the whole sort of spectrum, then if somebody's never seen a squat bar before, it's too risky. Like, yeah, yeah you, people just don't want to risk that. So they do do, there are some leg presses, there's some hack squats, like, you know, machines. There's one study where they took like 80 year old women with severe osteoporosis and made them do like hack squats and it showed and it dramatically improved their bones. This is what an awesome study. Just like think of all these sort of, you know, osteoporotic sort of slightly bent over old ladies getting it done in the gym. I thought that was awesome. So you can do it. Those studies are done. It's just the way that it's done. Um, it's very difficult to, to, to compare across studies and then use that to inform. And that, like nobody's done it on this kind of, Nobody's done it on this kind of scale, 122,000 people yeah. on a treadmill. Like, nobody's done that with squats. Maybe they'll do it one day, but it's just not a, sta- it's just not a standard thing. Which is Then there's the, I mean, if, if you're trying to think about true leg strength, like, I, like isometric pull strength is something that's being done more and more. But again, it's, it's, it's mainly an athletic population. So if you're trying to translate that to, to a more normal population, it, it's difficult. Yeah. Because um, I suppose just to kind of wrap up, like if you, when you think of health and longevity, like if you look at the blue zones that we've mentioned, you know, quite a few times before, you know, we've, you know, all these people living beyond the hundred. There's a lack of squat racks. <laughs> well, yeah, but then, you know, they're not, they're not in the gym. Unless they're, you're in Costa Rica and you're near Ben House, because Costa Rica has, uh, has, has, is one of the blue zones in all the oh, parts. Yeah, he has a lot of squat racks, so you're near a blue zone with a lot of squats. So maybe that's the perfect. Perfect balance. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, but no, but but well, aside from Costa Rica, um, you know, it's mainly just well, there's so many other factors that go way beyond, you know, the the exercise side of things because you know their 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 manual, you know, man, physical labor, f- physical labor day yeah, today yeah. is much higher. Daylight exposure, as we know, um, so they are going to be lifting and walking and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, they live until beyond a hundred. So what do you call it? Farm boy strength when they're just generally stronger. But yeah. Farm boy strength. Yeah. Just kind of, <laughs> but that. you have to but you remember like when they're doing, like we say physical, like we say much higher physical activity and it's true, but it's not what we would think of as physical, right? It's, it's gardening. It's being out and walking. Yeah. It is lifting and moving stuff, but none of it's like a hundred kilos. It's very low level. You know, it's lots of movement, but it's not, you know, we automatically think physical activity has to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. They're just getting enough of it in that, and you know, so that's where most of the benefit lies. It doesn't have to be this sort of strenuous torture fest that we we often subject ourselves to. Do you think that is is the best kind of form of exercise overall? Probably is that if people were just physical in their day, walked more, lifted, and, did their gardening, and hmm. and didn't ever set foot in a gym necessarily. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I you know we go to the gym because we enjoy it, but it's yeah. certainly not. Um, it's certainly not a, a prerequisite. You could get it from from any activity that just requires low level movement and you know moving in different planes and occasionally lifting something that's more you know more than your body weight or your body weight. But but this is the problem though, isn't it? In that people put you know they place exercise they place training on this pedestal, don't they? That it is the answer to everything. Like oh, as long as I train, I'm I'm healthy. You know, if I lift more weights and if I run further. I'll be healthier, I'll be fitter, rather than actually, in fact, actually, if you was to look at health as a whole, all the other factors would actually have a much greater effect on your health than exercise. So your nutrition, your sleep, your stress management, blah, blah, blah. Another factor in this I didn't realise, there was an article I was reading this week and it was about, I didn't realise how much the food industry sponsors some of the exercise guidelines because they know that if people train, uh, yeah. train more and promotes exercise a lot more, then people can have these dietary discretions or whatever you want to call them, or like are a little bit more flexible with their diet. So they're kind of saying how much the food industry is is, is paying for a lot mm. of the, the, the kind of exercise guidance or, or kind of... Oh, really? Yeah, it's involved in that process and some of the mm. recommendations and the promotion and advertising around exercise and gyms and physical activity and stuff, because it benefits them because people will learn... Relax more about their food. Eat more. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, let's face it, that's why I train. 
<laughs> my goals are to be able to eat more and have good arms when, yeah. pull, when pulling a Mr. Whippy ice cream. Yeah, yeah there you my go. My goals are simple. <laughs> when pulling a Whippy. <laughs> Do you know what? I think those are laudable goals. I am, I'm, hey, you know, I'm a simple man. Those are you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, brilliant, mate. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm glad to hear you're now, you know, healed from your from your Viper bite. Um, oh yeah yeah well i'll send you i'll send you a picture of the scar and i'll send you my venom my yeah. venom face yeah my impression. but yeah it's been a pleasure as always mate and uh yeah we'll no doubt speak to you very soon i'm sure yeah awesome thank you guys guys thank i hope you. you enjoyed it um i'm sure you did um any questions as ever please do get in touch if you've got a question for tommy we can always like relay that back to him um but let, other us, know, than- let us know how many press-ups you can do yeah so yeah <laughs> if you want to know going forward next session is going to be whack yourself on a treadmill get that incline as high as you can and stay on it for as long as, as long as possible and when you do fall off the back don't get up just crank out a load of push-ups it's quite an effective work actually like, stay on the treadmill until I fall off and then just go straight into the push-ups probably five. 10 minutes and done <laughs> yeah bish bash bosh is that every day Tommy they should do that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. And yeah, add, yeah every day and twice add, a day and that'll add 10 years to your life there you go <laughs> right guys we will see you in episode 123 see ya see ya